it's a lot darker than normal in here during worship. It's kind of weird. I'm like, is that Ryan up there? If you got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 12 and kind of, you can hold your finger there where we're at. I've got a couple other scriptures we're going to start, but um, going through the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew wrote that Jesus is our king and his perspective is a, Matthew is a Jew and he's writing to the Jews to say the king that you've been waiting for is here. And uh, so we've been studying through in this, this entire journey, uh, it's the never ending series called Here's Our King. And uh, I think we've been here almost a year. Uh, in March, it will be a year. So <laughs> um, we'll have an anniversary of this series. But uh, just, <laughs> just felt uh, important that when we launch in a, as a church that we stay focused on following Jesus and make sure that we center our life around the cross and what Jesus has done for us. Uh, God designed us and made us for specific purposes. You've heard me say this many times, and you will hear me say this, that God has created you to live a life that only you are made to live. He has a special purpose, a unique purpose. He desires to work through his kids, and he's made us for specific purposes and for specific lives. And one of the things that he created in us was our desire and ability to worship. Uh, We are, regardless of whether God is on the throne in your life, or football, or your job, or your car, or your houses, regardless of what is number one in your life, you are wired and designed and actually engage in active worship. God also created us to rest, that as, as busy and as crazy as we create life and make our schedules so full, I know people who have the full schedule but an empty life, and, and if you understand that, it's just empty. God designed us and created us for rest. Last week when we were teaching through the book of Matthew and uh, Jesus really began to show us that the way to get rest is by repentance. And he went through this process of uh, our repentance leads to a revelation of seeing God for who he really is. And that leads us to rest, not just the ability to sit and do nothing, but the ability to have a rest that when we leave that time with God, there's actually more energy and more life in us than when we came to that throne of grace. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, after God created everything, God made a special day for us uh, called the Sabbath. And uh, in Genesis 2, I'll read this, verse 1 through 3. Uh, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I don't know if you've ever been involved with a project. Us guys have a great ability to do this. We'll build something or make something. And the best part is when we sit back at the end of the project and go, that is good. I mean, we, I have been involved. I don't, I'm not very good with my hands, so my father helps me, but but there are things that we have worked on together. And the most fulfilling moment is at the end of that project to sit back and look at that and go, that is good. We did that. I mean, imagine God on the seventh day when he just kind of kicked back and, and just looked at all he had made. I mean, it says that when he made it, he said, it is good. And so on that seventh day, he just reflected. I mean, he took time out of the schedule that he created and he sat back and said, that is good. I mean, that, that, I, I like that. 
and then he created man and everything went crazy. But, um, but no, he made us for rest and he made us for a, a Sabbath. Um, actually, in Mark 2.27, it said that he made man for the Sabbath, not Sabbath for the man. The interesting thing there is because we can get this twisted. We have, uh, we're created to worship, we're created to rest, but we also have these things where we like to create just to create. And we can make the Sabbath, we can take this day of rest and turn it into something that it is not. The Sabbath is simply this. It's the seventh day. It's one out of seven days that God designed to make holy, to set aside, and it's to cease. Sabbath means to cease or desist or rest. And God is, is so great because he knew that it, throughout human history that we would miss this ability to just stop and just rest. And not just rest, but reflect and remember and look back. I mean, the Sabbath is a day that's created for rest and remembrance. Uh, we've put all kinds of regulations on the Sabbath. And this started from the beginning. I mean, God made it, said it's holy, it's blessed. And then uh, man gets their hands on it, and it became a day of regulation. It became a day of rules. Last week when Jesus stepped on the scene and said, uh, My yoke is easy and my burden is light, the Pharisees had created so many burdens and so much pressure and weight around Sabbath and how it's observed, what they can, what people can't do. I mean, there were actually laws on how many meters or how many steps or how far a person could walk on the Sabbath day. And if someone had to make a journey, they would have to go earlier in the week to make the journey and place food at the place that they would have to stop because they would have to stop and have a meal and have a time of reflection and remembrance, and then they could go on. I don't know if you grew up in church. A lot of our people grew up in church, and that, that kind of creates some baggage, but it also helps set some things. But I grew up in church, and there were, there were regulations around worship, like this is the music. This is, I mean, I have seen churches just literally come apart at the seams because they get into legalistic ideas on how we worship God. I mean, what did God say? He made the Sabbath, he blessed it, said it is holy. There are restrictions and laws on the Sabbath, but the Pharisees just begin to heap things on. I mean, you can't do this, and you can't do that. And they made it into a legalistic nightmare. And, and we tend to fight over crazy things. This morning, I want us to kind of teach through the Sabbath a little bit, but I don't want us just to walk away with a head knowledge of, yes, we should take time out of our schedule to rest and remember. I think we get that. I mean, we're big boys and girls. We understand that we've got to take time out and rest and reflect. If you don't, your body will. I mean, you will get sick. God is good at saying you need to rest and you're going to be down for a couple of days, you're not going to have a good time of remembering and reflecting because you're going to be blowing your nose, you're sick, or you're throwing up, or whatever it is. But our bodies are designed for this. We, we, we as a society, man, we have a hard time with rest. I mean, it, it is hard. How many of you remember your kids saying this? I'm bored. I remember saying that. And every time, I quit saying it to my mom and dad because every time I said it, I got something to do. And it's not something I would want to do, you know what I mean? Um, but as parents and as adults, we never say I'm bored. You know, we never take that time out to just stop, to take out all of the, the stuff in our life and rest and remember. And uh, Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, after he tells us about his yoke being easy and his burden being light, he, he hits this idea and this um, information about the Sabbath. So let's go to Matthew chapter 12. 
Um, this is just after Jesus said that, uh, and my yoke is easy, my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So what has happened is the Pharisees had taken the Sabbath, and instead of a day of rest and remembrance, they had made it a day shrouded by legal observances. And, and we've got to be careful. We're going to take some knowledge away from this this morning that our day of rest and reflection is not a legal observance day. I mean, we have national holidays and there are legal observances around holidays we have as a nation. But as people of God, as children of God, we cannot get into this habit of making Sundays or times of worship a legalistic observance. God's not down with that. He's not about that. And so the Pharisees had made the Sabbath day something about this. The disciples were hungry, and they, they were eating. They were walking through the grain fields, and they started picking the tops of the grain. Now, when I first started reading this, I thought that the Pharisees were calling the disciples out for theft because they're walking through somebody's grain fields, and they start picking the pieces of wheat. What the, what the Pharisees were actually charging Jesus and his disciples for was harvesting. It was illegal to harvest on the Sabbath. The law in Deuteronomy gives us permission, gave the disciples permission that if they were walking through the field on the Sabbath and were hungry, they could, they could take the, some grain. They couldn't sickle the grain or harvest it, but they could take some grain. What the Pharisees were charging the disciples and Jesus with was harvesting. How they get this? Plucking the wheat was reaping. When you take the wheat and rub it in your hands to get the, to separate the wheat from the chaff, that is um, uh, threshing. And then when they would open their hand and blow the chaff away so the seed remains that they could eat, that's winnowing. And so the Pharisees were, I mean, talk about getting into technical detail. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Jesus wasn't about to be playing this kind of game with them. And uh, so he answered, haven't you read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, what he's doing is he's beginning to show them some logic. He gives them three examples here in these next few verses about why their logic is off, about why seeking these, these, the legalistic side or seeking all the, the minute details to, to point someone's wrong out is, is off base. The first one he says is when David, when he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God and he and his, his companions ate the consecrated bread. That was bread set aside, not for them, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So what happened is David, when he was on the run for his life from Saul, they were in the temple, and he and his men, and they were hungry, and they ate the bread. And what Jesus is saying, I didn't condemn David for that. David is still, in my eyes, was innocent. And then he says, but the priest, okay, here's example number two. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day? and yet are innocent. That word desecrate, you could actually translate profane the day. That the priest of the temple profane the day, and yet they are innocent. That's another teaching for another time on why they profane it. I tell you that one greater than the temple, and here's a third example. He's got David, he's got the priest, and then he says one greater than the temple is here. It's Jesus. If you remember our teaching about Jesus, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And he didn't come to fulfill all the laws and regulations that the Pharisees had put in place and what they were heaping on the people. He came to fulfill the law of God. 
the law that was going to point towards, towards Christ. Remember, the law is a shadow of what's to come. You want to stare at me, not my shadow. I mean, we, we, churches, we don't want to play shadow games with God. And Jesus is saying, the law is merely a shadow that points to me, the Messiah, the Christ. And I've come to fulfill it. I am greater than the temple, and I'm here. And it's okay for my boys to eat because they're hungry. Don't get caught up in all of this. And then he says this, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's from Hosea 6.6. 6. You, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They begin to get in this, this hang-up. Um, and the, the Pharisees, uh, we've got to be careful. And I was challenged with this this week. We've got to be careful not to hate on the Pharisees. Now, we see them often at odds with Jesus, but here's the bottom line. And here's where, you know, just conviction came on me this week as I'm studying and preparing. I like to be against the Pharisees. I like to be like, yeah, yeah, get them, Jesus. But honestly, you know what hit me? Most of the time, I act more like a Pharisee than I do Jesus. And so I'm not going to be hating on the Pharisees because sometimes I are one. <laughs> so, um, but... I want to live in that grace that Jesus, when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What, what, God, what Jesus is saying here is God is more about compassion than about following this list of regulations. Or, or put it this way, God is more about inner spiritual vitality than mere external formalities. I, I mean, God's not just about creating us and dying on the cross for us so that we can walk the same line with everybody. So on the outside, we can all look and, and act and seem to be like everything's going fine. God is more concerned about the heart. Going back to David, remember what David told Samuel. He said, Samuel, man looks at the outside. I look at the heart. I mean, if you, if you imagine God's ability to, to see right through us, I mean, I can put up a front. I can put up a front with you. I can put up a front with Heather, my kids, my family, with anybody. But God has that ability to look beyond me. And he says, don't get hung up on all the stuff that you do. Spend time with me. And the Sabbath idea, don't get hung up on, well, do we go to the early service? Do we go to the late service? You know, is that music okay? You know, sometimes Matt's not as funny. Um, I will never be able to engage and entertain you enough to have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to handle that on your own. All I can do is gather us together and we're going to teach the Bible but you've got responsibility on your own. And he's saying, be more concerned about what's coming in and how your heart is reflecting and embracing Jesus instead of all of the little things that we do. And so he begins to move through this. Let's look as he goes on, Matthew 12, 9. Uh, I'll read 9 through 14. Um, so at, right after this happens, he says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now the Pharisees, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Even the, you know, the Pharisees are looking to accuse Jesus, but how many of us get into a situation where we ask Jesus because we're trying to set it up to get our way? I mean, we think that we can kind of paint Jesus into the corner and like, ha I got him. Yeah, I'm going to get what I want. I mean, the Pharisees, remember, this opposition to the kingdom has started, and now they are starting to test and push on Jesus a little bit because they're not happy. Their, their system, their, their whole comfort level is being challenged. 
all of the burdens that they'd heaped on the people were for their benefit, and now that's being challenged. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, Jesus is sticking it to the man here a little bit because the comfort and everything is being torn down. And the kingdom that the Pharisees has built is at stake. And so they begin to ask Jesus to test him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he says this. I love this. Jesus answers a question with a question. Now, it's fun on my side, but when I ask Jesus a question and I feel like I get a question back, it's a little frustrating. Let me just kind of side note this. That's a good thing. If we were to ask God or pray, God, can you show me the answer to this? And he says, sure, here it is. That's where the learning stops. God desires us not to to just learn, but to be in education. He desires us not to, to come to a destination, but to follow him with our life. And so, so many times in your spiritual journey as you grow and you have this question and you come around someone who's more mature or you study the word of God and you get an answer to that question, most of the time it'll open up two or three other questions. And that's the beauty of growth. And he asks this question. He answers their question with a question. Hey, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is is God shows compassion regardless of the day of the week. It is all about compassion. God is a God of compassion. That's why Matthew is writing to us so that we can understand our king is here. Because in his compassion, in his grace, in his mercy, Jesus stepped on earth so that we could be reconciled in a relationship with our creator. And he's more concerned about this. The reason this kind of cuts a little bit to the Pharisees, and if Jesus were to put it in our terms today, it's going to cut a little bit because this costs the Pharisees personally. If a Pharisee has sheep and they fall into a pit, I've got to get them out. I mean, that's my livestock. I mean, that sheep's probably worth 50 bucks. There's no way I'm going to let it die. But then compassion, the, these jokers walking through a grain field picking grain, they're in the wrong. And he's saying, no, compassion. If you're going to have compassion on what's yours, more so have compassion on what's God's. And he desires compassion and wants us to show that. You've you got to understand this. Jesus came for redemption for people. His whole mission is about redemption. From the beginning of, of creation, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were sitting somewhere in the halls of, of, of history and time and said, we're going to do this thing called humanity. But here's what's going to happen. And Jesus felt it so worth it. He says, I'll step in at the right time. Father, when you say the right time, I will step into humanity. And I will be that sacrifice. Scripture says he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew before we were even created, before the Sabbath was done, before they rested on the seventh day, that he was going to step into time and history to redeem us. He is all about redemption. You see, the Sabbath, that seventh day, it's a day that commemorates a finished creation, which means God stepped back and he's like, it is good. The Lord's Day that we celebrate is on Sunday. People will get hung up. The Jews celebrated the Sabbath on Saturday, and early Christians celebrated on Sunday. It's because they called that the Lord's Day to commemorate the resurrection. And so the Sabbath commemorates finished uh, creation. The Lord's Day commemorates finished redemption. 
You see, you want, might look to me and say, okay, well, what day is it supposed to be celebrated? Yes. In, the er- in early history, Sunday was a work day. There were no blue laws back in the first century where Kmart was closed on that day. You know, dealerships were closed. I mean, you went to church, you went home, had time, lunch with your family, and you spent the evening together. Now, even that can be shrouded in legality. But in the early time, Saturday, Sunday was still a work day. Jews would go to the temple and they would worship God. They set aside time to rest, remember, and worship God. And then they went about their business. The early Christians moved, celebrate that on Sunday to commemorate the day of the resurrection or called our Lord's Day. And it wasn't until the year 321 that Constantine declared Saturday, Sunday a weekend, basically. That said, on Sunday, no business shall be conducted. You can Google it, the Constantine Law of, of 321, if that so interests you. Um, so what happens from here? Jesus, then, then uh, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Let, let me stop there. We've got a, a doctor in our church, and we were talking about this, this verse. Um, if you think about a man whose hand is shriveled, it's weak. And so what does he have to do? He has to use his other hand. And in using his other hand all the time, what happens? It gets stronger. It's, it's significantly stronger than, than his other hand even would have been because he's overcompensating. And when Jesus says, stretch it out, and it's restored just as sound as the other, Jesus wasn't about just say, okay, let's get it back to where it could be. He gets it back to where it's strong as the other hand. And so when the Pharisees were not happy with this, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So now it has begun. Now it's talking. Now, now they're actually thinking and planning. How do we get rid of this man who's threatening our system, who's threatening our society, who's threatening our, our well-being? How do we get him out of the picture? And the plot begins. And what happens is, is, is uh, verse 15. Aware of this, aware of their plot, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed them and he healed their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till, the leads, till he leads justice to victory, in his name the nations put their hope. Matthew includes this narrative from Isaiah, this prophecy from Isaiah, because when you think of a king, um, think about all of the, the movies we watch, Braveheart and all the medieval movies, that when a king starts establishing his throne and his kingdom, what does he do with the opposition? He beheads it. I mean, he, he confronts it. There's, I mean, there's very often a very violent revolution that's happening. But what's beautiful is Matthew says, here's a king. His kingdom is already established, and he's, he's showing us, he's teaching us, he's modeling this. And it says that Jesus withdrew. He's showing us the compassion of Jesus. Jesus was brilliant in this, that he knew when to engage and when to withdraw. I mean, Jesus withdrew. He was not going to fight with his enemies or what we consider his enemies. We like to pit Jesus and the Pharisees together all the time and, and watch that celebrity death match. But... What happens is Jesus understands his fight was not with the Pharisees. Now, he's going to engage when he needs to engage, and he's going to lovingly and in truth correct them, 
But his fight was not with the Pharisees. He's not going to fight against the very men he came to save. His fight was against principalities, against kingdoms of, kingdoms of darkness. Folks, we've got to get this, okay? We've got to understand that there are times that God calls us to engage, but also he calls us to withdraw because our fight isn't with other people. I mean, when we get into spiritual matters, we can't fight with other people. Those are the people that Jesus hung on the cross to save just as much as he hung on the cross to save me or you. And we have to understand and live in this compassion. Know when to withdraw. You may choose to step up to the plate with an argument, and, and you may win the argument, but I can guarantee you'll lose the person. Jesus walks away from the Pharisees, and he says he's not going to quarrel or cry out in the streets because he's more interested in winning the person than the argument. He knew the argument was going to be settled at the cross. I mean, he took down Rome without firing a shot. He stood before the rulers of Rome without saying a word of defense other than, I am he who you say I am. He knew that the, the fight would happen at the cross. Too many times we choose to engage in a spiritual debate or a battle because we have a desire to be right. Too many times that person that we proved we were right to walks away with a disgust and a distaste for God. And then we receive persecution because of it. And then we somehow, uh, selfishly or even in a sickening way, glory in ourselves because we've been persecuted because we argued with this person over Jesus. I've said this before. Too much of our persecution comes because we're jerks. I mean, how about we, when we face persecution, how about it be because we're following Jesus so closely, we engage when he leads us to, we disengage and withdraw when he leads us to, and what if our persecution came because we were truly living an exemplary, exemplary life that Jesus is leading us into, and that the Holy Spirit is so full in our life that people are dis disgusted with God because of that, not because of us. And that's what Jesus is driving us to. And he's saying, I'm not going to judge people until it's the right time. He will judge. Yes, God is going to judge. I said last week, we will either live with that image of God as judge or God as grace. Same God. Which one are you turning and facing? And he desires compassion. He desires mercy, not sacrifice. He says the Sabbath is a delight. God delights in his son. Let me read you this. It's Isaiah 58. Um, you got your Bible, you can go there or follow along. This is just what I want to say in closing here. Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. This is what God is saying. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it, by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speak idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. How many times in our search for joy or rest do we get into just the motions of church? That what we say to God is idle words 
is that we, we come to church because we feel it's the right thing to do and we check it off so the rest of the day we can do what we want to do. And God's saying, don't do that. Don't get caught up in the legalities of it. But how many of us can honestly say that we come to church to gather and worship God? I, I, I have to check myself on this. Because every weekend we set this bad boy up and tear it down. And I can get focused on all the stuff that's involved. We're trying to get, get relationships built in our church community. And I can get so focused on that that I miss worshiping God. I can get so focused on, on, on is, the, is the screen right? Is everything set up right? Is the sound right? Is it too loud? Is it too soft? Is it, you know, all of the pieces, the children's going all right. Because God's put this whole thing on my shoulders. And I can tend to take it all on my shoulders instead of saying, God, it's your burden. Your yoke is easy. I'm here to worship, baby. And I can get so off track. How many of us can honestly say that we show up ready and willing and desiring to worship God and spend time resting with each other and in His presence and truly remember what He is doing in our life? And that time of reflection, of really just kind of looking in and saying all the noise, all the schedule, all the stuff that's from the past week, all of the noise, all the schedule, all the stuff that's coming this week, I'm setting it aside. And I'm going to get out of the, the stuff, and I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to make this day holy by worshiping my Creator, my Savior, and just reconnecting and refocusing. And he says, when you do that, man, the joy of the Lord comes in. It's not just rest, it's joy. It's, a, it's an energy, it's an excitement, it's a peace. It's everything that we need that when we step out, we step out with more life than when we stepped in. I've gone on vacations where I feel like I need a vacation from. Many of us say, I'm resting today. And we need to rest because of all the non-rest that we did on our day of rest. And God's saying, cut it out. You're designed to rest. You're designed to worship. Take one out of seven days and set aside some time on that day to spend with me and focus and worship. So do we truly, I mean, can we honestly say that? We're, we're going to move to a time of communion. And what I want us to do is, is I want us to spend some time reflecting God, have I made this day, have I made this worship something that is more of a legality than of an honor and joy? And I don't have a, a challenge for you, but I have a reflection for you. And here's what I want you to spend this week, quiet time. I want you to reflect on this. I mean, Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So your reflection is, who is the Lord of your Sabbath? Are you spending that time? Are you reflecting? Are you remembering? Are you resting in that grace? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and we praise you that, that you have made all of this. And, and Father, it is good. Thank you for in your wisdom knowing that, that we will miss rest that we will miss joy, that we will miss peace, that we need a connection with grace. Thank you for creating a day. I mean, you could have created it all in six days and said, there it is, and start the cycle over again. But you chose and you modeled for us 
a day where we can rest and reflect and remember and recenter ourselves and refocus ourselves on our grace and the grace that you've poured out on our relationship with you. On the whole reason for our existence is to be in relationship with you and bring you glory. Thank you. And Father, for the areas that we have put, maybe uh, some, some legalism or just the sacrifice and not the mercy in place of our worship of you. God, we ask for your forgiveness. God, when we've directed our worship to anything other than you, we ask your forgiveness. Father, thank you for Jesus so that we can worship in spirit and in truth and not under law, but under grace. We desire to worship in spirit and truth under grace. Jesus, thank you for being Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you for being Lord of rest, of remembrance, of reflection, of joy, of peace. The Holy Spirit, move those into our lives. Those areas where we have uh, created things and we have put things that hinder this worship of spirit and truth. Holy Spirit, show us those so that we can confess those, we can repent of those, and get them out of the way so that we can truly worship in spirit and truth. God, we know that, that everything we do is for your glory. You said whether it is eating, drinking, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so, God, we set aside time to rest and reflect and remember for your glory because of your glory God help us to live that life that you created keep us from being so busy that we have an empty life